I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Good to have you here. Oh, it's still chilly here, by the way, and in this studio, it is it is freezing. So I, I got the jacket on. I'm going to try to stay warm. I know I got nothing to complain about uh, down here in Texas. The rest of you guys up north are <laughs> nothing like what we get, but uh, we're going to warm things things up today with with a nice conversation. Uh, and I, ha- I had to go outside the country uh, to get this one. Um, our guest today is Dave Bowden, and he is coming to us from uh, near Birmingham, England. Uh, and uh, I think the perspective here will be interesting. Um, well, let me show you the book. This is the book he's written called Parallel Faith: Walking Alongside Others on their journey to Christ. And I have a a quick confession for you because I, I think I have fallen into a a trap and, and, you know, I think there are appropriate places for it. You look at at like Paul on Mars Hill and you can see this, but I have a tendency to try to argue people into the kingdom. (laughs) And I, you know, there's also that, that there's some theological things behind that, that present an urgency where we feel like we got to get everybody saved quickly, you know, before the world burns up or whatever I, and, and the older i get the more i go I, I think maybe that could use some fine tuning uh and we're going to talk about that because faith is a journey and we need to know how to navigate that with other people who aren't necessarily in the same place that we're at so appreciate you guys being here chat is open if you're watching a chat enabled channel if you're watching the replay we appreciate your kind comments even if you disagree just be nice uh in in whatever channel you're on so appreciate you guys watching dave great to have you on life today live welcome to the program thank you very much for having me it's a little cold here in the uk as well so we've got that in common today even though we're in a different time zone eh? yeah yeah called this evening for you right um so uh, grace foundation and clear studios uh where where you you work give us a little bit of a just a little bit of a a biographical background so people understand a little bit of where you're coming from and the experiences you're having yeah so previously i was a church pastor for 11 years um uh, bivocational alongside that i ran a schools ministry so it's quite unique for in relation to the states because here in the uk there is a little bit more of an openness to be able to put Christian vision and values into secular education. Hmm. So with Grace Foundation, what I do is I have teams of people that go into non-Christian secular schools who are Christians and they get embedded into the school to help share about faith and values and help those young people achieve better outcomes. So that's Grace Foundation. And then Clear Series really came out of from working in those schools talking to young people that from a very different starting point than you and me are at so we would talk to them about jesus and and faith and they would look at you blankly often yeah and i was trying to look around and say where are the resources where i can help reach these young people where they're at and there wasn't enough that didn't have um so much religious language i wasn't expecting young people to come with all this assumed knowledge and uh, pre-ideas so clear series really came out of that series of videos to help meet young people exactly where they're at 
from their starting point and not ours, which obviously links really into the conversation we're having today. Perfectly, yeah. And for those of you who are interested, Clear Series is spelled K-L-E-E-R Series, if you want to look that up. Because here's here's what I'm, I'm seeing, and at least in my lifetime, um, is, is that, you know, when I was younger, especially being here in the South, uh, in the United States, the, what they call the Bible Belt, um, you had a lot of assumptions that people knew what you're talking about or they were of your same faith. And the more secular our society gets, I think the more we can learn from people like you who have been dealing with it, uh, you know, all of your life. Um, what do we, what do we need to know to even start that conversation? Because, you know, our, sometimes our religious lingo is completely baffling. Uh, a little frightening. You start talking about blood and dying to self and things like that, you know. Um, yeah. But what what are some of the foundational things that you've discovered in in having conversations with people who are are not of our faith? I, I think the first thing we've got to realize is that in education terms, they call it the the curse of knowledge. So we're <laughs> yeah. actually cursed with yeah. knowledge. We know things that other people don't. And what happens is when you're struck with the curse of knowledge. You, we just assume automatically that everybody comes to the table with the same set of preconceived ideas as us. So the first thing we've got to do when we're having conversations with people who don't have faith is to ask more questions than give answers. And we have to listen to the questions that they're asking and answer them, not the questions we hope they'd have. So, you know, quite a lot of the starting point that I've faced in the past is we come with our ideas. We're really good at apologetics. So we come with... We figured out in our head this idea that Jesus was either a madman, uh, he was either a liar, or he was the son of God, because we've all studied C.S. Lewis. <laughs> We're very excited about the Chronicles of Narnia. We come to the conversation, and the person in front of us is not asking the questions that we wish they would ask. Mm -hmm. So therefore, what we have to do as the church is start answering questions they are, mm. not wish that they were asking what we, we wish they would. And I think... That's a big starting point for us is so we've got to get rid of that, haven't we? We've got to say, actually, you know, so many people that I work with now, to them, Jesus is a swear word. Mm -hmm. So they don't even know if he's real. They don't even know if he's relevant to their lives, let alone us getting to want to ask Jesus into into our hearts. <laughs> right. Again, which, which sounds strange. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like science fiction, right? <laughs> right you know, right. like so we've got to in a way I'd say in polite terms get out of our christian bubble yeah and we have to start thinking that the way that we come across to people beyond the christian bubble we need to become learners as much as we become teachers mm. uh, and you know when jesus called us to go into all the world and make disciples he said teach people to obey he didn't just say talk at people mm. so if we're going to teach people to obey then there's a difference between teaching and learning and the church is full of teaching and not as full of learning even within the church walls so there's something about the culture that we have where so often we default don't we to here's a set of instructions here's a set of platitudes here's the a plus b equals c mm -hmm. and we're not allowed to question it there's the, the church is so much row by row rather than circle by circle so that means that there's not enough space even within church life to ask questions and discuss and explore let alone beyond the walls so we're coming to the table with some challenges and the way that we address those challenges is start to think like Jesus. Hmm. Okay. So here's, uh, here's the part that, that may work against that a little bit. 
it, we, we look at this idea of evangel- of going all into the world. Are you going to all? Yeah. The, that, that's sort of the evangelistic call, and I completely believe in that. Um, that's not the same as listening, uh, and I certainly believe cer- certain people are called to evangelize in the sense of preaching yeah. at right. Yeah. But I also believe that that that's not most of us, you know. Um, if we're supposed to listen, what are we listening for? And what will we learn from people who aren't Christians? That's a really good question. So I think first and foremost, when we think about discipleship and evangelism, which to me, and we can talk about this, uh, that they're on a spectrum and a journey. They're not two separate departments in a church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that they're on a journey. We can come to that. But I think for me, um, it, Christian life is show and tell. So we show and demonstrate the love of Christ to people we love the person in front of us that's the ministry but and then we do also tell them about our faith so it's not like i'm saying the old kind of preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words we show and we tell and how do we get to that tell so the point is how do we translate the gospel and reframe it for a generation that isn't interested in what we're going to say mm-hmm. so more often than not if you remember during the pandemic we'd have zoom conversations like we're having now and there'd always be that one person on the call who would be on mute, right? So they would be talking passionately and everybody else on the other side would be saying, you're on mute. And on my team, it was always the same guy. I don't want to name him, but his name was Matt. It was always Matt. Yeah. yeah. And he would, he would be talking passionately. Nobody would be listening, but we had the courtesy to say, you're on mute. I think when it comes to the church, the church is speaking passionately but actually we're on mute to the world around us. Mm. And the church, the, the world isn't, hasn't, isn't polite enough to come back and say, hey, you're on mute, so we carry on. So it's not like our message changes, but we do have to translate it into the context that we're in. So when we're listening, that we have to go back to the basic human need of every person. So everybody wants to know three things, really. It's like, who am I? What am I here for? And where do I belong? And every, every other question really comes out of those things. So it's identity, purpose, and belonging. Mm. So when I'm having conversations with people around the water cooler um, or it, you know in friendships, when I'm walking alongside people, parallel with people, I'm listening for what are the consistent things that are coming out in their, in their life in terms of their hopes and their dreams and their needs. And then I'm thinking, how does the gospel speak into where that person is at? So I'm not coming with my prepackaged set of um, assumptions and prepackaged set of like four points that I have to get across. I'm listening and responding to where the person is at. Then I'm reframing the gospel through a lens of identity, Mm -hmm. purpose or belonging, depending on where the person's at. Now, that can only happen through relationship. And actually, if you think about it, Jesus did this too, right? Yeah, he did. So so we all say, like, what did Jesus do? Did he speak to people about judgment or did he speak to about about mercy? The answer is it depends who the person was. Mm -hmm. Because actually, if you think about it, to the Pharisees, Jesus was pretty strong with them as saying, you need to change your ways. So the woman caught in adultery, you know, or the woman with the issue of blood or the woman at the well, Jesus was merciful and kind and soft because he knew where the person was at. So he reframed the message to create an entry point for them to hear the truth. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I know in, in England, and you talk C.S. Lewis, right? There was, there was this pub life 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't like it is in America and large, and especially in the South, considered a sinful thing. It was a yeah. There was a lot of spiritual conversations going on in the pub, right? And I've, yeah. I've seen this in places over there, um, and in you know here in America, this old I'll, I'm going to age check you here, okay? But okay. Do you, you ever Not seen ready. Cheers? I've seen Cheers. You've seen Ted Cheers. Ted Danson, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ted Danson, Woody just, Harrelson. Just enough. Yeah. Okay, so just in the age bracket. The theme song, right? The theme, it's my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, the theme song, you know, where everybody knows your name. They're always yeah. glad you came. Yeah. And I, I sometimes I, I wish our our churches, and I've seen this actually, I've experienced this in a church I'm in now, was a little more like that. It was a place mm. where, hey, we're glad you came. We know your name. You know, uh, and in, you know, the large churches that we have here in the States and mine is a large church and we're having to work hard to be okay. We want to have at least a group within the, the group and many of these where we, we know your name. Yeah. That speaks to relationship. Um, yeah. And we also have this puritanical mindset that you don't go hang out with those people, even though Jesus did. And we're like, well, Jesus was without sin, so he could do it, but we shouldn't yeah. do it, you know? Do we really yeah. have to get dirty and get into the world, not not participate in sin, but be near sinners to actually do this? You know, if we're going to be like Christ, we have to be. Um, so the gospel is that reminded that Jesus left the comfort zone of heaven and he came to earth. You know, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, mm. you know, or as the message says, moved into the neighborhood. And I think inherently in the gospel is the idea that Jesus came alongside and met people where they were at and taught them about a higher way in a different kingdom. So one of the things that the phrases that I like to use all the time is the power is in our proximity. And if you think about it, Jesus calls us, he says, I'm the light of the world. But then he also says, you are the light of the world. Yeah, You need to shine. And, And he actually then goes on to say, nobody would hide their lamp under a bowl. So actually, there's an abdication of purpose if we hide ourselves. So he said, a light isn't going to be a light unless you actually let it shine. Mm. And in this, he also says, you, you are the salt of the earth, which is a very British, it feels very British, that phrase, like salt of the earth, almost Yorkshire in its phraseology. <laughs> but what does salt do? Salt gets into things. And once it's embedded, it affects and flavors the whole thing, not the other way around. Yeah. So uh, this is the whole thing. That, the reason why my teams make such a difference in the schools they're working in is because they're, they're salt and light. They're embedded into those. They come alongside people, meet them where they're at, and become an influence. Now, when people before make, people making big decisions about God, often they're making little decisions about you and me. Mm. They're making small decisions, and mm. they're saying, "Does Randy, you know, like, does his God actually mean what he says to him?" You know, mm-hmm. what happens when Randy's facing stress and difficulty and challenge? Mm-hmm. What happens when he goes through loss? What does his God mean to him in that moment? So this is where the show and tell thing comes in. And if we live at arm's length, if we live, um, you know, with boundaries and shut people out, we're never going to be able to demonstrate that whole part of the gospel, which is about being where people are at. So absolutely, we've got to go to where people are. And absolutely, we've got to, rather than be top down with them, this is why... I love this this parallel phrase mm. because it's actually about walking alongside and it actually came from believe it or not c.s lewis was the inspiration for it we huh. talked about him already because before c.s lewis came to faith i don't know if you know much about his story um him and tolkien uh the guy that wrote lord of the rings right they they had 
conversation after conversation, debate after debate. And they used to go, I was there last Saturday in um, in Magdalene College in Oxford, and they would go and walk this loop around the college, which is called Addison's Walk. And Addison's Walk is just big enough for, for people to walk side by side. Hmm. And they used to go and have conversations about faith. And on the night that C.S. Lewis finally gave in to this after years of kind of debate, They'd had this conversation walking side by side, went back to their dorm, talked to the early hours of the morning. And the next day, C.S. Lewis gets up and goes with a friend in the sidecar of a motorcycle to the zoo, believe it or not. And it's written about him that by the time when he gets in the sidecar, he didn't accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And by the time he got to the zoo, he'd believed in God uh, as his Lord and Savior and become a Christian. So it's that side by side thing that really makes the difference. I love that. Uh, I love the imagery. Um, and, and we, we, we need, we're going to have to do this, I think, or, or we are going to be that, that guy that's on mute. Do you think people are open to it? Cause that's one of the fears people think, ah, you know, I'm not perfect. They're going to see my faults. If I get too close, I might say something wrong. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, I think just fear on people's parts of getting too close. Um, but do you find people respond to this? I think the the biggest fears that people have are that they're not good enough, they're not equipped enough, mm-hmm. and um, uh, or that they're too busy or that they're just they're too scared. And I think for me, the great thing about the Great Commission is so Jesus said, "Go into all the world, make disciples, um, you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all I commanded you." But then there's the great commandment comes with a great promise at the end of it. And then he says, and surely I am with you even to the end of the age. So the whole thing is this, is that actually um, in the midst of the challenges and difficulties that we know we're going to face in disciple making, evangelism and and being on mission, we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with us. So I always like to remind people, you know, do do you guys, if I said the word, the phrase Bear Grylls to you, would you know who Bear Grylls is? over there bear grills yeah sure yeah 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 so so if i said to you okay you've got to go and climb everest the next week you would be overwhelmed you would think i'm not good enough i'm not equipped enough there's no way i'm going to make it past the first mountain peak but if i said to you okay randy i'm going to send with you bear grills the world's greatest adventurer he's going to pack your bag for you Mm -hmm. and he's going to walk with you every step of the way and he's going to give you the right equipment and tell you take this step put your hand there and over time he's going to strengthen you and train you well you'd still be scared but the difference would be that you've got somebody walking alongside you that knows what you're doing so somebody parallel with you is your parallel with others and this is the greatest secret hidden inside that great commission isn't it is that jesus promised us that he'd be with us so what i'd always say to people who feel scared or feel like they're not good enough or haven't got it all together i'd say me too i'm there but the brilliant thing in all this is that we're not responsible for the outcome. We're only responsible for our obedience. And actually, if we see um, the journey is um, people have to take little steps towards Jesus before they take big steps with him. So let's see this whole thing as a journey. So my job is whoever I meet is to love the person in front of me. And I need to judge where is this person? Are they not interested in faith? So how do we help them move? from being not interested to spiritually curious, mm-hmm. from spiritually curious to becoming a Christian, from becoming a Christian to being discipled. 
Mm. And from being disciple to being a disciple maker, that's the journey. So the, the goal of the end game of discipleship is not to become more better at religious activities. The end game of discipleship is not to become more churched and uh, forgive me, but I hate the phrase unchurched, you know, where people say, oh, that person's unchurched because it's almost like saying, you know, just ha hang along a while. It's okay. They'll soon be church like the rest of us. <laughs> well, Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise again so that you and me could be churched. <laughs> he died that we might have life and live it to the full. And and the end game is that we help people come to maturity in Christ. But we have to recognize that every single person we meet is somewhere on that spectrum or somewhere on that journey. All I've got to do is help somebody take another step towards Jesus from their starting point. That's discipleship. And honestly, I think that's a game changer because it means that whoever I'm with, whether I'm in church, out of church, suddenly I'm not seeing people as, as us and them. I'm seeing everybody as people made in the image of God. And I have an opportunity to help point them to Jesus every single day of my life. That's mind blowing for me. Yeah. Oh no, no, this is, this is huge because we, we do. And, 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 and I know it's the culture I grew up in. We have this sense uh, that I have to close the deal. Mm -hmm. I've just got, I've got to get you saved. Yep. Uh, and we'll even use some scriptures that I think we just, just misapply them a little bit, you know, uh, you know, how they, they have to hear or, you know, they will never be saved. And so I have to preach or they'll never be saved. My responsibility is not, I can't save them. No. It's not my responsibility to save someone. I cannot. No, it's my responsibility to hear and obey. We love formulas. That's the only one I found that works. Learn to hear the voice of, of the shepherd, the good shepherd, you know, learn to hear Jesus voice and obey. And that, that's what I hear you saying. And when you do that, you know, you don't, you what, look at, this, you know, one man sows the seed another waters and another reaps the harvest. It's okay to be a seed sower or, or a waterer. Uh, we don't have to always be the one gathering the harvest that is liberating it's hugely liberating and actually when you think about it because we have this preconceived idea then that we have to be a certain type of person to be able to do this yeah to, to be on mission but if you think about the first disciples i mean they were a ragtag bunch of people they were all completely different so you had peter so peter was the pioneer he was the one who always had his foot in his mouth mm. he was out there boldly proclaiming the gospel but then you had andrew andrew was much quieter we don't hear much about him but what we know is this he was an alongsider and he was the one who introduced his friends to jesus so four of the disciples came because of andrew hmm. so you know so we've got the big loud person we've also got the introvert and then you've got um john who was just the lover he was so passionate about his faith in jesus you've got mary who had a testimony which was knockout you've got martha who reached people through hospitality hmm. martha gets a bad deal but i tell you what she knew how to connect people with jesus so when we think about the stereotype of what being on mission means, even the first disciples don't fit that. So why do we see ourselves as not part of that story? You know, and I think a lot of this comes down to that whole vision of the way we see ourselves as ambassadors of Christ. You know, uh, uh, Paul says that, doesn't he? He says, you are ambassadors of Christ. Well, an ambassador is somebody who's sent on behalf of somebody else to a different um, nation to be able to proclaim the good news from that nation. Mm -hmm. That's who we are. That's who we're from a different kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think if we started to see ourselves more as ambassadors, it would change the game. You know, if I'm stood in front of a burning building 
and my identity as a fireman, I'm going to run into the building, not away from it. And in the same way, if I see myself as an ambassador for Christ, I'm going to run towards the world, not away from it, mm. because I know that I carry within me a kingdom and a, and, a, and a king and a message from that king, which is a means to change it and make a difference. And again, this stuff changes everything for me. Uh, it, I, I think it enables us to do what we're supposed to do by understanding yeah. that. Uh, by releasing the pressure, knowing it's not all up to me. Not God's not sitting on the sidelines waiting to judge us on our performance. He's not Simon Cowell, you know. No. He's up there with us, enabling us. Uh, and and if we learn to listen, leading us, you know. And and that's a it's a whole different dynamic. Now, let, me, let me ask you this, because I mean, you know, I think that that the the tools we have technologically. Uh, can be fabulous. We're, you and I are having this conversation right now because yep. of Zoom, and we're having it on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and LightSource. I mean, Rumble. Um, I, but it's weird that the most, you know, social media generation, the most connected or the most isolated and the most lonely and depressed in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, can we... Can, can we use technology in this um, or can it be a, sub, a a bad substitution for a real relationship? How do we balance that? Yeah, it's a great question. So if I talk to my teenage children, when they, um, they, they have very little distinction between online and offline worlds. So when they say I was talking to my friend, often they mean they were texting their friend. Right. You know, and, and we've got a generation who will never leave a voicemail because it's it's too scary or make a phone call, <laughs> but they'll text, they'll be online all the time. So we, we do live in this hybrid world now. And I think the rules online are the same as rules offline. What's interesting is um, when people go online and they look, they start, even search like Christianity and Christians, what they'll often see is Christians not walking parallel in proximity of each other. They see this polarized, far apart, hierarchy, you know, top down stuff mm. that is not interesting to the next generation at all. Mm. So I think, yes, we can use the tools. We've got to be wise in how we use them. And if we're only using them to score points against other Christians, maybe we need to re reconsider it. Remember that the whole goal is how do we learn to love? So if we can use social media to love other people, brilliant. Yeah, you know, so absolutely, we should be using it to um, to be kind. You know, we should be using it to share the gospel, share good news stories. To you know, people always talk about going viral, but I think with when it comes to social media, we need to learn how to go local. Mm -hmm. So, how do I reach the people that are in my sphere of influence and my world with a message of hope and truth to share? This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And I've been amazed even since I've I've released the book. You know how. I had a guy get in touch with me the other week on my social media and say to me, hey, Dave, congratulations on the book. It was point one. And point two was, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. Can you help me? Oh, wow. And this is a lad that I've known for 18 years wow. since he was 12 years old. And I've walked with him for 18 years. Wow. So, so he said, I need to meet you this week. So I changed my diary around. And then suddenly that Tuesday night, I'm sat having a, over a restaurant with a copy of the Bible that he'd asked for. And I'm praying for him and saying, let's go on a journey together. Yeah. Because I'd been brave enough to share about this is what's going on in my world. But I'm not trying to convert anybody necessarily. I'm trying to share about what's real to me. So don't try and go viral. Just go local and yeah. just be yourself. <laughs> and 
people are longing for that authentic expression online, aren't they? So there's so many ways that we can do this. Um, but there's also a lot of ways that I think Christians need to be wise and savvy up and know that we are being watched. Mm. I, I know there's a generation that are watching us and they don't want anything to do with our point scoring, polarization, politicalization of the gospel. So mm. They're not interested in it. Mm. Mm, that's good. You know, the last thing that went viral around the world wasn't a good thing. <laughs> it was a pandemic. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that shouldn't yeah. be the goal. I do have a new bumper sticker uh, inspired by you today. It says, God is my Sherpa. Let me be yours. Oh, you like that? I like that. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> to all credit to you. This is, this is, I think this is so critical, man. And I, and I, I really want every Christian to, to hear this and, and to, it'll make you more effective it'll it'll liberate you from some maybe things that you've whether you've come up with it or maybe you've heard it in a, in a sermon that was well-intentioned but a little off yeah. but i do think this is absolutely true you know where it's jesus had john the baptist to go out and, and you know preach the 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 hard evangelical sermon and then jesus sat down and walked with 12 people well, more than that you know the 12 and you mentioned some women you know but i mean he he did he he did that he did that walking, and he wasn't in a hurry with people. That's the amazing thing. And he knew that he only had a few short years. Um, yeah. But I th he had a sense that the timing was under his control. And we got it. We have to get that sense as well. The God's got the timing. Uh, yeah. He he actually cares more about saving everybody else than we do. He yeah. invites us into the the conversations and to to be a part of it because he knows. It blesses us, um, and for some reason, he's always chosen to work through people, even imperfect people. You know, my dad says yep. that God accomplishes His perfect will through imperfect people. That's encouraging. Um, we, I just, I think we've listened to some things, wherever they've come from, that have caused us to sit on the sidelines. When you're saying, "Look, let's let's get up. We're going to play the game imperfectly, but let's get on the pitch," if I could say that, and and that's the only way we're ever going to score any points. So. Anything you want to add? I love this conversation, by the way. I, I love what you're doing, and, and I appreciate you taking the time here today. Last word from you? I, I think um, the, the last word is is really that when we're looking at the, the landscape out there in terms of what's out there, discipleship evangelism, it has been professionalized, and it has been pigeonholed. And what I want to say to everybody who's listening today is that actually you can do this. You know, in 1 Peter, it says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15. And that's that's the mandate for us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that we need to start seeing ourselves as ready that God can use us and he will use us and wants to use us for his plans and purposes. And don't worry about the outcome, just worry about your obedience. And if we yeah. all did that, can you imagine yeah. how the world would be changed and so quickly with the good news? Because so often we think it's all on our shoulders, but it actually, it's all on his. We get that. You know, you'll have a lot less uptight, angry Christians that way, too, <laughs> which, yeah. which would be nice. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. They'll know we're Christians by our love. You yeah. Know? And, and and so often we feel like we, we need to get a really good church newsletter, right? We need an amazing story. <laughs> but half the time, what it is actually about is just in our every single day life, just saying, how can I be obedient to you, God, and use me today? I love it. I love it. All right. If you want to 
follow up with this train of thought, uh, I've got a resource for you. It is Dave's website. It is a Substack website. For those of you who are not familiar with Substack, that's a platform where people can publish their material. So if you go to daveboden.substack.com, a uh, great place to go, and, and you can what, see what he's doing in parallel with, with other people. So, again, Dave, man, thank you so much. Appreciate you today. Thank you. Thank you guys out there watching, by the way. Uh, I would encourage you to share this with every believer you know, because, man, this is liberating uh, and powerful. We can do this. We can walk. You can walk along someone, with someone today, you know, just be there for them. Appreciate you guys being here. I'll see you again next time on Life Today Live. I love you. I love you. I love you.